This morning, we're going to be studying the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to use your phone, your iPad, or tablet, that is totally fine, too. That's actually how I do most of my Bible studies. Um, now, as we get close to finishing this book of Ephesians that we've been studying for a while, Paul, we've seen he's give us, given us several really, really good teachings. Um, and we're going to see that he's going to sum up today what Christians need to know to be effective as they're calling at being disciples, right? And in doing so, we're going to see him, uh, if we look closely at his words, we're going to see him admit that we all have weaknesses, right? <gasps> Everybody know that? <laughs> There's things that we don't always do well. We're not always, we don't always have strong faith. We try to do things ourselves, use our own ideas and opinions. And what we're going to see Paul do is tell us we need to rely on God completely, right? That's going to be the solution. So let's jump right into Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, let's look at verses 10 and 11 for starters, and let's just see what he wants us to know. He says, finally, right, he's coming to the end of some really good stuff. Finally, and this is where he's going to give us a summation. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Now, this is interesting. Look at this. So you can take what? Your stand against the devil's schemes. So you can take your stand. This isn't about Pastor Ryan. Pastor Craig, this is about you taking your stand. This is about all of us. This is our calling as disciples. Now, while this also, if you think about it, kind of sounds really cool, putting on the armor of God, like kind of macho, like, yeah, right, I want to do that. We also we need to understand a couple things. To do that, the fact that we need that means we can't do life on our own. We cannot do this. We can't stand up against the devil because we're not strong enough on our own. We need God's armor because the devil is too strong for us by far. So again, while it seems kind of cool, you know, think about that, you need to think about why you need armor. Why is God saying you need to put on my armor? What has that much power that you need armor to protect you, right? So there's a bigger thing. So here's a way to help you con uh, conceptualize this, because this is 100% true. Uh, when I uh, was a freshman in high school, started playing organized football for the first time, and I remember that day, me and my buddies, we put on our, our football pads for the first time, helmet, shoulder pads, my brother's here, he can probably win that too, and you just think, you think you're so tough, like, like me and my buddies, like, and we kind of hit each other a little bit and bonk heads with the helmet, and we thought, this is going to be great, we're so tough. But then you play a really good team, <laughs> and you realize why you have those pads. Because someone else, slightly bigger, slightly faster, is going to do what? Mow you down. So why do you, so while we got those pads, we thought we were so tough, but then it didn't really sink in until the first couple games why you need those pads. So why we think, when we first hear about armor of God, like, Ugh. why do we need armor? Because of what God is sending us out to do, Right? And again, the point we need to take from this, we need God's armor because whatever we try to do on our own, whatever we think we can do on our own, it's not going to work. It's going to fall short. That's not what we're called to do. But we're also going to see it's not just strength that we need. We need the mind of God. We need his heart as well, right, his peace. Again, our thoughts, ideas, opinions are simply not going to work in this area. However, this is important to note too, the other side of the coin, that's exactly though what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to go out on our own, to use our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own judgments, our own biases, and just take off. Do whatever you want. That's what he wants us to do. But we're going to see that Paul wants us to do the exact opposite. 
we need to have the mindset of God. We need to follow God. We need to be a true disciple, right? Paul's telling us that everything that Jesus did for us gives us everything we need to know. Jesus saved us. He washed us clean. He put us on the right path. And now he says, finally, like what we just finally, right? This is how he starts it out, which means I've covered all this stuff. But now this is where it comes to you. This is where it applies to you. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in his power. So that's what he wants us to do first. Be strong, right? Everything we do is going to be built on this, being strong in God. That's our starting point. It means we need to be connected to him. We need to pray. We need to read our Bible. We need to study. Because I can assure you this, one of the fastest ways to fail when it comes to standing up to the devil is to not be connected to God. Sure, do it on your own. I can tell you it's not going to work, right? To only occasionally pray, to only occasionally ask for forgiveness, just for the easy stuff, right? Not the big stuff, not to totally submit and totally ask for forgiveness, right? To be vaguely aware of God's plans. That will get you nowhere. To be used by God, our true calling is to become a disciple. We must dedicate our lives to God. We must understand his plan for our lives, and all of that, everything surrounds Jesus Christ and what he did for this world, okay? We're saved, we're washed clean, we're built up, and then we're sent out to carry that message to others. So this is what Paul's talking about when he says we need to be strong in the Lord. It's all of that, right? It was by God's plan that Jesus died on the cross. He defeated sin and washed our sins away. And that same power is what we need to be connected to, really connected to. Now, we see in verse 11, Paul also begins to get specific on what this looks like. He says, put on the full armor of God, again, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So that means, again, we have to change how we are. By ourselves, we're not strong enough, we're not tough enough, and any way we try to do this on our own is simply not going to work. So we have to put on the full armor, not one piece, not two pieces, the full armor of God, right? So that we can take a stand. Now, if you're really paying attention it obviously means we're going to take our own stand against who? Satan, the devil. And that means exactly the way it sounds. The devil who tried to overthrow God, who convinced a third of the angels to join him in that effort, that's the one we're going to take our own stand against. Which means we're going to stand in his path and say, not here, not today. Okay, that's our calling. Now, do you think he's going to be like, oh, that's no problem. I'll just find another way. No, that's not going to be acceptable to him. And see, what's so important about this part of Ephesians, this is, this is like the big stuff. This is where we see the direct and the visible difference between being a baby Christian, being introduced to Jesus Christ for the first time, which is fabulous. We've all been there. He's talking now about sending out disciples, sending out people to do that next step, to take that message to new people, right? We all go through the stages of growth, and that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. He's talking now about the final stage where we put on the armor of God to take our stands, our stand against the devil. And this is serious, so he's making clear what we need to do. So with this in mind, let's continue, and we're going to see Paul start to describe in detail what these different pieces of armor do, right? Um, and it's also important to note that this is not physical armor, this is spiritual armor, okay? Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, there's some really heavy-duty stuff in there. And if you read that and we're like, oh, that's cool, and you just want to move on, we need to stop and go back and read it again. And this is why. This is not a physical struggle. This is a spiritual struggle. And the word struggle means this is not going to be a one-time thing. It's not going to be a piece of cake. It's a continual struggle. As long as we live on this earth, that is something we will have to contend with. Right? And because it's spiritual, going to the gym, learning karate, carrying guns, not going to help you in this. This is a spiritual battle. We need to be on point with the Lord. Now, here's a quick word about that. You can totally fool other people about how spiritual you are. You can fool me. You can fool your family and friends about whether or not you actually believe in Jesus Christ or how much you actually follow him. We, can only, we can't see into each other's hearts. I don't know what you actually believe or how you actually live your life. But in this battle, you are not going to go against another human, are you? You're going to go against the devil himself. So you can fool me. You can fool others. You cannot fool him. And just to highlight how powerful the devil is, let's look at Paul's words again. He talks about rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, and spiritual forces of evil. He's not talking about the B team, the freshmen. Who's he talking about? Rulers, people with power. This is, this is serious stuff. We need to take this seriously. And Paul, just like Jesus did with the disciples, wants us to be trained so we can meet what's ahead, so we can go out into the world, right? And so Paul wants us to take our stand in the spiritual sense. And so once again, this is what he uh, reiterates in verse 13. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take, um, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. So the goal is for us to take our own stand and to withstand and be able to stay there. You put on the entire armor of God, and when that day comes, it will come, you can stand. Now, also, if you, to fully understand this, it's suggesting that what? If you don't put on the full armor of God, you only do like a little bit, will that go well for you? No. He wants us to take this seriously, right? And now as we head into verses 14 and 15, he's going to start talking about the individual pieces of armor that we need to put on. And each piece has a purpose. Each piece was created by God for a specific reason. All right, so let's read that, uh, verses 14 and 15. Again, he says, Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate, excuse me, breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Okay, so there's three pieces here we're going to talk about today. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and th third, having readiness in your feet that comes from the gospel. Now, before we, again, get into these, we need to note this is not our armor. We don't own this. It doesn't say made in Sebastian, right? Didn't order it on Amazon. Whose armor is this? This is God's armor. He made it for a specific purpose for each one of us. Right? So with, when it comes with a purpose, there's a job for it. And he gave it to us through Jesus Christ so we can take a stand against evil. Notice this is also, this is def defensive armor at this point. Our job is not to go on the attack, but rather to go where we are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to stand up, right? And this armor will protect us. We're not being sent out like with cowboys with guns ablazing, looking for stuff to shoot. 
we're, talked, we're talking about sharing the gospel. So let's first talk about the belt of truth. Now, I've got to be honest. When I first read, I remember reading this in high school. Think about the armor of God. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a great teaching, armor of God. Well, the first thing they list is a belt. What do you do with a belt? Like, I was always thinking there'd be a shield, a sword, like exploding arrows, something cool, right? So again, while it seems a little strange to me and with my expectation, if we take a step back and learn what God's talking about, it actually makes this a lot of sense. The belt of truth is first, because this job is to help protect us from lies, falsehood, and deceptions. In John chapter 8, Jesus talks about the devil, and he says something really interesting about it. He describes him as the father of lies. He says when he talks, he speaks his native language, which is what? Lies. That's all you get. So the belt of truth is meant to first protect us from those lies, to help us separate out what is true and what is false, what is real and can be trusted, and what is meant to deceive us. So essentially what's happening here on the big cosmic scale is a battle between good and evil, truth and falsehood, lies. And without being able, excuse me, if we can't distinguish truth from lies, we're never going to get anywhere. <clears throat> we don't stand a chance. So we must first put on the belt of truth because that holds everything else together. And when you start to think about this, especially from soldiers in Jesus' time, it starts to make sense. Soldiers back then did carry a sword, right? But what did the sword, what was it actually attached to? <coughs> Their belt. That's how they carried things around. And they either wore a tunic of leather or a breastplate. But what kept it in place? A big old belt held everything in place, Right? And it was a soldier's belt. It wasn't like this little belt that I got from Walmart right here. It was a lot thicker. It was heavy. It, was, it could withstand um, some beatings. It was tough, right? Now, a few weeks ago, back in Ephesians chapter 4, ta Paul talked about the importance of knowing the truth and protecting yourself from lies. Okay, and let's read what he says. Ephesians 4, 14. Again, he's talking about moving us from baby Christians to full disciples. Therefore... Then we will they will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So this is important to note because Paul's saying lies and deceit don't always come directly from the devil. He feeds those lies to other people. And those people share them, either knowingly or sometimes unknowingly. And if we aren't mature enough in our understanding and our faith, we won't be able to decipher out what is true and what is false, right? So the devil likes division. He likes spread false information, likes to go farther, farther. And a really sad example of this has actually happened uh, in the history of Christianity. It happens a little now, but not quite as bad. Several centuries ago, Christians didn't always like each other. You remember history very much? There was a lot of problems back then. In fact, when uh, the Bible first started to get uh, translated into English, uh, people read that and they learned about Jesus and the disciples baptizing adults. Adults went to John the Baptist, the disciples, and they wanted to be baptized, and they were baptized. And these people had been baptized as infants. So they said, I want to make my own choice. I want to be baptized. So they baptized each other. They were called Anabaptists, re-baptizers. Do you think the church liked this? No. The church had them drowned. They paid with their life. So does that kind of stuff come from humans, or does it come from the devil? The devil likes to do that to us. It's true, and it happens. And what the devil does is uh, spread lies and cause problems. And believe it or not, w the more trouble, the more isolated, the more stressed we feel, 
the more problems can come up. Think, when things are easy and we're not being tested, it's kind of easier to stay on point, to stay with the truth. But when we feel scared, alone, persecuted, we a lot of times get tunnel vision. We go into self-preservation mode, right? And what's interesting about that stuff, we all go through that from time to time. But the reality of it is when you feel pressured, when that happens, a lot of the stuff that sometimes, unfortunately, we have about, we know about Jesus, we let go of. All the miracles, all the, all the, the cool stuff, the fame, the, the, the good stuff about Jesus, we forget about, right? And that's a very, fear is a very powerful motivator, and the devil loves this. He likes to take those little cracks that fear brings, makes them bigger so he can drive a truck through them. And so what Paul is doing and what Jesus did with the disciples was always refocus them on the truth time and time again. The truth never changes. The truth is always something we can cling to, even in dark times. And there's a really interesting case of this exact thing happening, where fear gets it, forces its way in and the devil runs a, a truck through it. it. happened with the disciples. It actually happened on the night of the Last Supper. And the disciple John did a really, really good job of capturing the moment, everything that led up to it, what happened, and then how Jesus brought them back together. And just a quick recap so you kind of understand everything. The disciples had been with Jesus for about three years, and during that time, they saw a whole slew of miracles. They saw him walk on water. He commanded the wind. He fed thousands of people. He brought Lazarus back from the dead, right? All this stuff. The disciples themselves were growing in their faith so much that they had cast out demons themselves. They experienced all that, and yet on this night, we're going to see some huge cracks. So on the night of the Last Supper, they finished their meal. Jesus, you know, he washes their feet, and then he begins to describe how one of them is going to betray them. One of them is going to sell them all out, right? Then Jesus, he tells Peter, you are going to deny me three times. You. You're going to deny ever knowing me to protect yourself. Then he describes how he is going away. And where he's going, they cannot follow him. And so this night, they all start to get scared because they don't understand. Right? And the disciples, they naturally, they go into self-preservation mode. They get tunnel vision. They forget all the miracles. They forget, hey, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. They forget all of that stuff. And they immediately start to ask questions. Where are you going? We don't understand. Where are you going? Why can't we come with you? We don't understand. You can just hear the fear in their voices. The tension is just rising, and then Jesus responds, and he says something just fabulous. It's in John 14, uh, verse 6. He answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So with this statement, Jesus, he's not just giving them calming words, which he is. He's stating truth. He's bringing them back to the truth, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what they need to know. That's what they need to cling to. The disciples were worried they couldn't physically follow him as though he's going to some new town they haven't heard of. They were just very narrowly focused. Like he just said, hey, listen, just focus on Orlando. That's all you need to do, disciples. Just worry about that. Don't do anything else. But that's not what was going on. They were lost and scared. So what Jesus did was he took it back to the spiritual, the truth. He is the Messiah. He is the way. Just like the armor of God, it's spiritual. He focused them on his teachings and his life. That alone was their direction. That's what they needed to know. That's what they needed to focus on. Again, the gospel was about going out to, to everyone. Again, it wasn't one particular town, but rather, and this is where they lost sight of, Jesus was training them up to send them out where? Everywhere. There was no one town. It wasn't five towns. It was to go all the way around the earth and to always keep going. 
Their destination was the entire earth. That was the mission, to take the gospel there. So this is very much what Paul is talking about with the belt of truth. The central point is that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what this is about. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Everything starts and in there. And, and when we're going through difficulty, when we're going to take our stand, what do we fall back on? Jesus is the Messiah. It's through him. That's what we need to focus on. Now, the next piece of armor that Paul's going to describe is the breastplate of righteousness. I remember reading this you know, a long time in high school. I thought, oh, that's, that looks cool. I'm thinking like some kind of bulletproof vest, you know, with all the cool stuff. But even this putting this on, this metaphorical putting on a breastplate tells us something, right? Because, because we have to put it on means without it, we are not ready. We can't do this on our own. Even like soldiers today, before they go into battle, they have to prepare. They put on their armor, they get their guns ready, that kind of stuff. So we must prepare too. We have to do the same with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness that the breastplate brings comes from Jesus Christ. His death on the cross saved us from our sins. It removed the curse of sin, and it made us righteous in God's eyes. So therefore, the only way, the only way to be effective as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to maintain that righteousness that we get through Jesus Christ. And this is extremely important, just like the belt of truth, because without it, we are not able to withstand against the devil. Without being righteous, without being, have our, having our sins washed away, if we still have all of our sin and haven't uh, turned our lives over to Jesus Christ, who are we actually in cahoots with? Who are we actually aligned with at that point? Satan. Satan. Right? The devil. To take a stand against the devil means you choose Jesus. You physically make that conscious choice. You repent of your sin. You want to have a new life. That's what this is about. So the breastplate of righteousness, it's actually, it's an outward sign to the world and to the devil of who you belong to, who you've consciously chosen to belong to. Imagine the breastplate actually says, saved by Jesus on it. That's what it says. And everywhere you went, there's just this big, bold picture of who you belong to and to the devil as well. That statement is powerful. Then that breastplate, here's what's so fabulous about that. It not only protects you from the devil, but to someone who is lost, who is searching, who has no hope, sees you stand up and do that, that's a sign of hope, real hope. A single person able to stand up against that kind of evil because of Jesus Christ. That's hope. So it not only protects you from the devil, it's a huge sign to people that are lost of who Jesus really is. Right? But the devil, on the other hand, this is the other way he's going to get you. He wants you to maintain your old lifestyle. He doesn't want you to admit to your sin. Definitely don't ask for forgiveness. Sure, put on that breastplate of righteousness. Keep all your old lifestyle. He wants people to look at you the way you live and have it be totally confusing. They claim to be a Christian, but look at their lifestyle. Who wants to be a part of that? Nobody. Right? So he doesn't want you to turn your life over to, to Jesus Christ. But that's why we need to be righteous. That's why we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to truly follow Jesus Christ, to be real Christ followers. Now, a few minutes ago, we talked briefly about the Last Supper and how the disciples got really scared that night and, uh, because Jesus had what he had told them what was coming. But I want you to imagine for a second, what if the other disciples, the other 11 disciples, were just like Judas, where they didn't have a righteous life, where they didn't truly believe in Jesus Christ. Even though they were scared and they were human, they still believed. But what if deep down they were false? What if deep down they were exact same? They were willing to sell out their own families for money. What if they were just as sinful, prideful, 
unrighteous as everybody else. Do you think we'd be in this church today if they were like that? No, of course it wouldn't. It would die off as it should. But because they were true disciples, because they truly believed in Jesus Christ, because they followed him, they had their sins washed away, and you bet they wore that breastplate of righteousness everywhere they went in spite of what the devil tried to do them the whole time. It was a strong, flashing sign to all people that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. That with him we have nothing to fear. Because that's what the devil hates the most. Us going boldly, sharing about Jesus Christ. Because that's nothing he can do. He is defeated. There's nothing he can do. So just let's do a quick recap of Ephesians 6, 14 to 15. And let's, let's see what Paul talks about after those two things, the breastplate and the, the belt. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now this one is really cool, right? Stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now this is interesting because this really isn't even armor, is it? Right? Rather our feet should be ready to move because the message of the gospel. So what does this mean? How do we get our feet ready, right? And also, I thought we were talking about going to a battle. Now we're talking about peace. That seems like it doesn't fit. Well, this actually has everything to do with Jesus Christ himself. The way that Jesus defeats the devil and sin, sin and death, is through forgiveness of sins, through the peace that comes from being forgiven. It's our sin that separates us from God. So what the devil's main goal for us is to keep your sin. Whatever you do, don't ask for forgiveness. Whatever you do, don't think about your sin. Whatever you do, don't turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Because once you do that, he has lost. So how does the devil prevent that from happening? He wants us to think of ourselves only. Do whatever we want. The moment you think of it, do it. Whatever you want. And what happens? Think about this from the outside world. What happens in the outside world when people live for themselves and only for themselves? Does that promote goodness and peace? No. It's where you get violence, anger, jealousy, love of money, causes anxiety and fear. What solves that, though, is salvation through Jesus Christ. And so what does Jesus tell us during those times? This is what he told the disciples when they were really scared. John 14, 27. This is just beautiful. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives because the world's definition of peace is not the same. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. So the gospel of peace that Paul is talking about is the gospel that takes away fear and anxiety. When we truly believe, we can go wherever God calls us. We can stand in front of the devil and say, not today, and have no fear. See, that is powerful. That is powerful. When we understand this, that's what brings peace and joy and happiness. That's why when we have it, our feet want to go. Talk to missionaries. They're some of the happiest people in the world, and they live without air conditioning. They live in difficult places, right? Where there's no Publix or Walmart, but they're some of the happiest people. Why? Because they're carrying the good news, the gospel of peace, right? That kind of peace drives us out into the world because we possess something the world needs. Now, just to make sure we understand how powerful Jesus is, and there's just another reason to not have fear, it's because of something that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 29. He said, my father who has given them to me, and he's talking about all of us, is greater than all. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. 
So because Jesus is the Messiah sent by the one true God who created all things, there is no one in the universe. There's no one has power over God. No one can take us from him. And here's what's cool. Not only are we safe and protected, God's saying, I'm going to give you my armor, and I want you to go and help save others. Right? Now, as we begin to wrap this up, there's two other verses I want to share. But what's great is they're going to help paint this picture of why you have nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing to fear. In Luke chapter 11, there's a story where Jesus casts out uh, this demon. And the people, some people are nearby, see this, and they accuse him of actually being in cahoots with the devil. And he uses, that's the power he uses. But he sets them straight. And in doing so, he actually describes how much more powerful he is than the devil. It's in Luke 11, 21 to 22. And when a strong man, and he's talking about the devil right here, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger, and here's where he's talking about himself, when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Again, the strong man in that story is the devil. And Jesus is actually saying he is definitely strong. He has armor and he guards his own stuff. But because Jesus is so much more powerful, he's able to enter that place, subdue the devil, take his own armor, and then take whatever else he wants. The devil has no power to stop him. So again, the devil is strong and has power, but Jesus is far more powerful. Now in this next verse, or we're going to read, Jesus takes that power, that strength, and he describes what his followers can do through him. And this is, this is one of those verses that, the more you read it, the more you understand it, just the more profound it is. It's just, it's just phenomenal in what he said. It's in Matthew 16, verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, when most people read this, they think of two things. First off, they think Peter, Jesus is only speaking to Peter. And number two, the church is safe because it has strong walls. But that's actually not what he's saying. But Jesus is actually saying the church is built on a solid foundation of faith. And Peter was a great example of that. But that's not where it ends. This is where it gets good. Because his church will be built on solid faith, the one true Messiah on him, the walls around the place of the dead are not safe from his church. See, that's a profoundly different way thing that he's talking about. This is an offensive statement going forward saying the place of the dead is not safe from his church. We can go to the place of the dead and pluck lost souls because of Jesus Christ. See, that's one of those verses that just your head just goes, when you think of how powerful that is. And of course, there's nothing the devil can do to stop this. Because Jesus is who he says he is, we can take his message anywhere. We can do it without fear or concern or worry. We can do that because Jesus is the Messiah. Our job is simply to take that message, to do it with joy and love and peace in our hearts. That's the message of the gospel. So this is the main point for t tonight. This is what Paul wants everybody to know. The teaching from Paul is meant to take our common understanding of Jesus and what our role is as disciples, right? What we normally think is normal and what's reasonable, and to blow that up and say, this is where you guys think it is. This is actually where it's supposed to be. Right? If you think about how we, when we try to comprehend how beautiful heaven's going to be or how vast the universe is, it's very hard to wrap our minds around. We have no way to conceptualize that. Paul's saying is the same thing with how, what your life is as a disciple. You think like this is normal, what you're supposed to do. 
Jesus is saying the place of the dead is not safe from his church. We can go to that very place and help save people. That's a very powerful thing. That is something that's hard to wrap our minds around. So everyone here today, I uh, should listen up. Because of Jesus Christ, you are saved. Every one of you. You have nothing to fear. Paul wants us to know we can go boldly with love and, and just share that message everywhere. You are loved by the one true God, and that God wants all people to know. We take that message. There is no fear. So today, this is what we're going to do. If anyone here has not accepted Jesus Christ, our first mission is to share Jesus Christ. We want to give you that opportunity because that's where it all starts. We want to give you the confidence, the courage, the joy, the peace that comes from knowing that you are saved by Jesus Christ. But that can't happen until you invite him into your heart, until you ask for forgiveness and want to turn your life over to him. So what's going to happen is in a minute we're going to say a prayer, and in that prayer, all you have to do is repeat the words that I say. You can do it quietly in your seat. No one has to know. Whatever you say is between you and God. But no one can do it for you. But also in that prayer, we're going to pray for everybody here, myself included. We're going to pray for strength and courage. We're going to pray for God to make his plans known for us so we can step out the way the disciples did. So we can do our part and continue what the disciples, what Jesus, what Paul started 2,000 years ago. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today, today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. It's my choice. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, to wash me clean, and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. And Father, today as a church, as a church, we pray for strength and courage and for you to make your plans known for us. We pray for strength to stand strong against the devil. We pray for courage to go forth into the world without any fear. We pray for you to make your plans known to us that we can go out wherever you call us, that we can share the message of love, the great message of the gospel. Father, we place our trust in you. We want to have a strong relationship with you. You are our God, and we are your people. We ask you to use us to expand your kingdom. Give us opportunities to use the unique talents that you've given each one of us. Each one of us is capable of moving mountains through you. Father, you thank, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for the church, but most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his awesome name that we ask all these things. Amen.